Imagine two people with me for a second. Let's imagine one's name is Tom and one's name is John. Tom and John both are very similar in their jobs. Both Tom and John are allowed to go to lunch every single day with clients and different prospective people in their career field. Tom, on the one hand, every day when he goes to lunch, he orders a cheeseburger. Tom loves cheeseburgers. He loves them so much that he never gets tired of them, so he orders them day after day after day. After a couple days of ordering cheeseburgers, Tom begins to realize that his, his afternoons and his evenings, he begins to feel a little bit sluggish. He feels a little more tired, a little more groggy than he normally used to. He doesn't think much about it, but Tom realizes that this, this tiredness, this, this grogginess, he begins to have a, a difficult time falling asleep. He begins to stay up later, and when he does get to sleep, he has a difficult time staying asleep. So when Tom wakes up in the morning, Tom wakes up a little more tired, a little more exhausted. Tom goes to work, and the constant tiredness, the constant grogginess, the constant feeling of not getting enough sleep begins to make Tom feel a little bit irritated. Tom goes to work and he's having a hard time focusing on the task that he has in front of them. And he's irritated, he's less social, he's groggy, he's tired. After a couple weeks of this, his boss begins to notice and calls Tom into his office and has a conversation with Tom and says, Tom, things aren't going well. If you don't begin to see a change, if something doesn't shift, we're gonna have to let you go. On the drive home that day, Tom is worried, he's stressed. He goes home, and where he normally may have gone for a, wa a walk with his wife, he goes home and turns on SportsCenter and begins watching TV. Tom just wants to escape. He wants to check out. He wants to do what's easy. Tom's lack of walking with his wife, the, the physical activity and the sunlight and the vitamin D and the release of endorphins just fuels him to be a little more tired and a little more cranky. After a while of not doing this, Tom begins to notice that he's still eating the cheeseburgers and he's still watching a lot of TV and he's starting to put on a little bit of flabbiness around his waistline. Because he's not feeling confident in who he is anymore, Tom is much less intimate with his wife, less romantic with his wife, and because they're not going on the walks like they used to every single day where they spend time talking about their dreams, their future, their wants, their desires, and their relationship, they begin to drift. Tom's wife begins to feel that maybe Tom isn't interested in her anymore. She begins to feel alone, isolated, disconnected. Tom continues watching TV. And so after a while, she decides, you know what, if he's not interested in me, she says, I'm gonna pour my energy, my focus, my, my passions into my career and then I'm gonna find a group of friends, a group of girlfriends that I can go hang out with and go to drinks with and go have lunch with and go have dinner with and I'm gonna invest in them to get the emotional attachment that I'm no longer getting from Tom. And when Tom experiences this, when he sees this, he begins to withdraw even further and a cycle begins. John, on the other hand, eats a salad for lunch. John hates salads. He despises them. He would rather eat anything he could besides a salad. But he forces himself to eat the salad. And he begins eating salads. And what John realizes is that after a couple weeks or a couple months of eating these salads, he begins to like them. And he finds that every time he goes to lunch, he no longer has to think about ordering a salad. It becomes the automatic thing that his brain does. He orders a salad. 
Tom or John also realized that every afternoon now that he's been eating his salads, he has more energy at work in the office. He's more excited about his day on, on the commute home. He, he not only just kind of listens to podcasts, but he looks forward to being home with his family, to seeing his wife, and he's beginning to take her on walks around the neighborhood each and every day. As they walk, they talk about their future, their hopes, their dreams, their desires for their relationship and their kids. As he does this, he gets physical exercise and it leads to vitamin D and endorphins are released and John finds out that he is falling asleep much earlier and much deeper than he used to, which means he's waking up now 10 to 15 minutes before the alarm clock actually goes off and he gets ready for the day and he's excited to see his kids and he gets in the car and he gets to work and he arrives 10 minutes early and he's excited, he's not tired, he has energy and he's social and he's connecting with people and he's networking and all of a sudden he has more passion and vitality in what he's doing and his boss notices it. John's boss, says, hey, I've got a project for you. And John nails the project. As a result, he gets a promotion and a raise. John can't wait to get home and tell his wife about the promotion and the raise, and on the way, he plans a surprise for her. He's gonna take her for a beach trip to celebrate their relationship. Two different people, two very different outcomes. Why? One habit, one small habit. If you are joining us for the first time today, my name is Adam and I'm the lead pastor here at the Mount. And I just wanna say whether you are here at the Stafford campus, joining us at our online campus or down at our Fredericksburg campus, if it's your first time here or or maybe your first time back since Christmas at the Mount, I just wanna extend a special welcome. I realize that there are a lot of things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. The fact that you chose to worship with us, to dive into scripture with us, we do not take lightly or take that for granted, and we are honored that you are here. And if you are new with us, I just want to let you know a little bit about the Mount. The first thing you need to know is that we are a church that values scripture. We we believe that what God's word says in the Bible and scripture is true, and it applies to our life in the proper context, and so we strive hungrily to make sure that we are looking at his word and how it applies to us, but also we are a church that exists to be for one more. What does that mean? That we are passionate, we are excited, we are motivated to find people who are far from Jesus, far from God, and to introduce them to the good news that is Jesus. And we also are passionate about making a difference here in all of our communities across Northern Virginia, but not only that, but all over the world through our mission partners. And so if you are here today, I'm excited that you chose today to be a part because we're beginning a new series today titled One Year From Now. And the idea behind this series is incredibly simple. It's this, what if one year from now you could be a totally different person based on the habits that you do each and every day? day. Because our habits have power. Our habits have significance. Our habits have importance. And I believe maybe even more than some of the other series that we've gone through, that this series, when we see what God's word has to say to us, when we, when we take it and we apply it to our life, if we are faithful to do that, it has the ability to radically transform our lives in so many different ways, whether it takes us one path or another path, simply because of the habits we have in our lives. 
And today, as we kind of set the introduction, the, the, the ground floor, the, the beginning of this series, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. And so I've got a question, and I want everyone to participate and play along, regardless of what campus you are at. And so here in a minute, you're going to raise your hand. If you, for 2023, if you made some sort of goal, resolution, plan, dream, whatever word you want to use there, but if you made something, and you didn't write it down, maybe you just thought it in your head, but you made some sort of goal, plan, resolution, dream, or something for this year, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Yeah, so hands, hands all over. This is awesome. I love this. Uh, so here's what's interesting to me. Sometimes in the church world, the term resolution gets like a bad rap, right? Like people are like, oh, Christians don't make resolutions. And I'm like, yeah, we do. Like, it's almost like uh, as a Christian culture, we're mad that Christmas is over, so we had to find something to hate on, so we hated on resolutions or something. I don't know. But like, let's, let's just, if you, if you are against resolutions, call them goals. If you're against goals, call them plans. Whatever you want to call them. I love the fact that when, when it's January, we make these plans, we make these things. Why? Because I think it also echoes part of the heartbeat of God. We see in Proverbs and Scripture where God says where there is no vision, where there is no plan, where there is no desired destination, the people will perish. You see, there's something exciting about planning and dreaming and, and figuring out what could be the possibilities of change. And I love this because God, we see this. God is a God of the new. He does new things. He makes new people. And so I just want you to know that whatever your plans, your resolution, your goals, maybe you already lost them and you're done and you're gonna start over, but whatever they are, I just want you to know that I'm cheering you on. I applaud you for wanting to improve yourself and change yourself. But I have some bad news. Here's the reality. Regardless of what statistic you look at, and so I'll just summarize here, 90% of our goals and our plans and our resolutions will fail. 90%. That's a 10% success rate. That is not success in any category I've ever been involved in. Like 10% chance of victory is not victory. That's failure across the board, right? And so I hear that and I say, we all have dreams we all have plans, we all have these visions of what could be, and God even inspires and tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. So why is it that 90% of us who raised our hand will not succeed in any of those goals, those dreams, those plans, or those resolutions? Why? Why do we start the year with so many good and great intentions only to end up just where we were 365 days before? There's an old story about a guy on a horse and he's riding and just as fast as he can. And he's just galloping. I think galloping's the word when you're going fast on a horse. He's galloping down the road and he looks like he is going somewhere incredibly important, somewhere incredibly significant. And there's a man on the road as he's coming to him and he jumps out of the way and he kind of goes the side of the road and says, whoa, hey, a guy on the horse. And he doesn't say that, but he says, guy on the horse. He says, where are you going in such a hurry? And the man, as he zooms by him, looks back at him and says, I don't know, you should ask the horse. <laughs> Here's my fear. Many of us, our lives are symbolic like that horse. We have no idea where we're going. We are just going wherever culture, external things around us, or our habits take us. We are just doing what we've always done, being pushed and pulled by the things in our lives. In fact, I would say our habits have a way of doing that. 
A good working definition of a habit that we'll use throughout this series is this. A habit is simply a routine or a behavior that is performed regularly and in many cases, automatically. In fact, uh, researchers from Duke University found out a couple years ago that when they surveyed people who were, had habits in their life and all the choices and decisions they made, they found out that not only is it regularly part important, but the automatically. They found out that oh, about 73% of the things we do each and every day are automatic habits that we do without thinking about or planning. They just are routine that happen over and over and over again. The habits we have in our lives are immensely powerful. In fact, through the the course of this series, we're going to come back to this underlying principle that says one year from now, the life you have, you can either get to where you want to be intentionally by design, or you can default to where everything else wants to take you. You can either make the plan to go somewhere to design your life, to design your habits, to design your goals, to design your vision, or you can default to being the rider on the horse who is just left to the whims and mercies of the thing that you are sitting upon. Habits are powerful. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, maybe some of you have read this, he decides, or Aristotle says it this way when talking about habits. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. You are what you repeatedly do. Your life is the summation of the things you do consistently over time. And unfortunately for many of us, what we do is not always what we want to do. Does that make sense? The Apostle Paul tells us this when he's talking about his spiritual life in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 19. He says it this way. He says, I do not understand what I do. Like, if anyone could get an amen right there, that's it. Like, I don't understand what I do. Like, I don't know about you, but there are so many things I do in life that I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? That doesn't make any sense. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. He says, the very things I want to do, I don't end up doing them. It's like I always do the things I don't want to do, the things I say I'm never going to do that. That's the moment I do that, right? That's what he says. And he says, if I do what I do not want to do, this is a lot of do's, by the way. He says, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Here, listen to this. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, Paul's talking about his spiritual life, but I think the biblical principle applies. Or or maybe I just feel this and you're so much more holy and spiritual than I am. But I don't know about you, but there are so many things in my life I want to do, but I don't. There are so many things I, I plan for, I dream about, I, I look forward to, and I say, I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And then by January 12th, I'm not doing it anymore. Or by January 6th, maybe, I don't know. Right, like, we say, ah, I really want to be someone who, who is a better husband. I want to be someone who spends more intimate conversation with my wife, and I want to do that. But I turn on SportsCenter. I want to be someone as a mom who is so encouraging to my kids. I hear people all the time say, give them 10 times more praise than you do correction. I want to be that type of mom, but it's so, uh, they just frustrate me so much, I got to tell them all the things they do wrong. <laughs> I want to be the type of person 
who doesn't keep doing the same sin over and over and over again. But yet it's been 12 years now and I'm stuck. I wanna be the type of person who engages regularly in spiritual disciplines and feels closer to God. But I default to sleeping in, turning on Netflix and doing other things. I don't know about you, but in my life, there are so many things I want to do, and I do the opposite. I default to what I've always done. Why? Because habits are powerful. The things that I have been doing consistently, repeatedly, over an extended period of time, have control over me. In fact, James Clear says it this way in his book, Atomic Habits. He says, the quality of your life depends on the quality of your habits. The quality of your life depends on the quality of your habits. And so for many of us, what happens is we say, I want to do this, but I don't. I want to do this, but I don't. And so what happens is one of two things in this moment. We either get this intense shame and guilt that says every year I've made the same goals, the same resolution, the same plan, the same dreams. I want to better my relationships. I want to get closer to the Lord. I want to do this, this, or this. And every year we fail. And so every year we finally just say, you know what? Enough is enough. This is just who I am. I'm never gonna be better, I'm never gonna change, I'm just throwing in the towel, and I'm just gonna accept that this is my life and this is who I am, and we feel shame and guilt when we see other people who are doing it better than we are. Or, we do the opposite. We say, fine, I'm gonna go big or I'm gonna go home. And so what we do is we muster up the courage and the bravery and the strength to set some big, as Jim Collins said, some big, hairy, audacious goal. That we want to set this goal that is so giant that only then will it break us out of the mold and the cycle and cause us to be a new person. I used to do this. My wife used to make fun of me so much. Uh, so I, I had never had a history of like being a runner in any way. And one year I made a declaration. I'm going to run a marathon. And so I trained and ran a marathon. At the end of that marathon, I stopped running. <laughs> so then I gained some more weight, and I said, I'm gonna run a half marathon. I trained, ran a half marathon, stopped running. Here's the problem. We think it's these big, earth-shattering, key moment decisions in life that change the trajectory of who we are. But it's not. Your life is made up of hundreds, of thousands, of tiny choices and steps every single day. You are the person you are, not because of big moments. You are the person you are because of your habits. The things you do repeatedly, consistently, over time. Your habits are what define you. Your habits are what make you who you are. And so many times we do those things automatically without even knowing it. And we're just drifting with wherever we've always done. In fact, uh, I tend to think of it this way. Long-term consistency always beats short-term intensity. Right, that's just another way of describing what we describe to our kids the turtle beats the rabbit or the tortoise beats the hare, whatever language you want to use there. Why? 
Because doing things consistently over a repeated period, consistent amount of time has an exponential difference in your life compared to the one-time big moments. What if I told you this year that you would never have to make another big, earth-shattering, life-changing decision, and one year from now, your life would be so much different because of the tiny, disciplined, consistent habits you develop. Because there is power in small things. Let me just show you in scripture that there's power in small things. The manna that God fed the Israelites was small. Benjamin was the smallest tribe in all of Israel, but yet the first king of Israel came from there. Esther, the woman who saved her nation, came from there. And Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, came from there. Uh, Gideon, God used Gideon and a small army by cutting it from 32,000 to 300 and said, this is all you need with my strength and my power. The small army will suffice. Solomon, in one of the strangest books in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, tells us to catch the little foxes that are running around in our relationship because those little foxes can ruin our relationships. We're told, Jesus tells us, that the person who is faithful with little will be trusted with much. We're told that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the the smallest of all the seeds that there is. Jesus performed miracles when there was only a little fish and a little bread. A widow gives a small gift, and Jesus says it's the best gift that has ever been given. Paul tells us that a little leaven, just a small amount of leaven, will ruin the whole batch. James tells us that the tongue, one of the smallest parts of the body, will determine the entire course of someone's life. You see, for for all of his bigness, God has an affinity for the small things. You say, whoa, whoa, what is that? For all of his bigness, his glory, his grandeur, his might, and his power, Jesus chose to be human, small, and finite. For all the things in the universe, God chooses to love us individually. In all of his bigness, God has an affinity for the small things. Why? Because there is power and significance in small things done repeatedly in our lives. In fact, we see even that concept in scripture, the concept of habits, the concept of small things done repeatedly over a consistent amount of time. We see people, the list of people who rise up early in the morning. And I know for some of you, I just lost you. You're done. You're saying, I'm going home. He's talking about rising up early. I'm not telling you, this isn't prescriptive. This is descriptive, right? Like we see in scripture, a group of people who rise up early consistently as a habit. And just listen to the names of these people. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, David, Job, and Jesus. Those are all people who had a habit of rising up early. We see Jesus, he is in the habit of going off by himself to pray, a small thing done consistently over time. In the Old Testament, we see the book of Daniel, and Daniel is this character we love to talk about and tell our children about and say, Daniel was this guy who made this huge, big moment of decision where they was like, you're gonna bow down to this, and he said, no, I resolve not to do this. And yes, he made a big moment of decision, but what's interesting is what happened before he made that moment of decision. Check out Daniel chapter six, verse nine. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, that he was told, you must do this thing, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And what did he do? Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. 
So even in this moment where Daniel has to make this big, huge decision, he does the thing he's always done, the small habit of praying three times a day. It's what gave him the courage and the strength to make the big decision, the tiny baby steps of hundreds of hours doing the same thing over and over and over again. We see this in Paul in Acts chapter 17. It says this, Paul went to the temple as was his custom. It was a habit of his. It was something he did. We see over and over in scripture, people who had habits, people who did the same thing repeatedly, consistently over a small amount of time and it made exponential impacts. But we also see the flip side. We also see what happens when our habits are left astray, when they are left to default or when they're left to be bad habits. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. Look what it says. Besides, and it's talking about a group of women here. It says they get into the what? The, that was weak. Let's, let's try this again. Fredericksburg, I need your help here. They get into the of being idle, of not doing anything, and going about from house to house. And only they become idlers, but also busybodies who knock nonsense, saying things they ought not to. Timothy's saying, listen, the reason they are gossiping is because they had the habit of not doing what God has asked them to do. So habits have the benefit of doing positive, but left to default, habits have the benefit of taking us a negative way. Habits are powerful. Small things done consistently over time have a tremendous impact in our life. And I don't know about you, but isn't it comforting to know that you don't have to, to be a different person one year from now. You don't have to make this big, bold declaration that is earth shattering that says, I will never do X again, or I will never blah, 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 whatever that is. You don't have to do that anymore. You can change the entire trajectory of your life by simply narrowing your focus to a couple of small habits and doing them repeatedly over time consistently, and your life will be different for God's glory. Our habits are powerful. Let me explain it this way. I have a chart for you. I love charts if you guys don't know this by now. You have results, like the, the things you want to happen and your time involved down here. We typically think it should look like this. Whether this is I'm um, losing weight, whether it is I'm, um, you know, in my spiritual disciplines, I'm feeling closer to God, whether it's I'm in, investing in my marriage, I'm doing something with my kids, whatever it is, we think it should be this nice linear uphill trajectory. We want to see progress. We want to see work happen. We want to see results. Now, Here's what actually happens. Nothing, 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 and then boom, it shoots up like this. Now, two things. First, when we see this in other people, we get immediately intensely jealous. Why? Because we see this right here, and we say, whoa, they became an overnight success. They came out of nowhere. Like their marriage was on the rocks, and now their marriage is better than ours. How did that happen? Their kids were struggling. Now their kids are getting A's. What is happening? I don't understand this. They are an overnight success. How did that happen? We don't see all the habits and years of hard work that happened below the surface. Think about it this way. Every year that it happens, Olympic athletes all have the exact same goal, to be on the podium. Nobody goes to the Olympics and says, today, you know, I'm really going for ninth place this year. Everyone probably wants gold. If not, they're like, I'll settle for silver or bronze. I'll be one of those people. But everyone wants to be on the podium. Everyone has the same goal. Everyone has the same vision and the same dream. What determines the people who are the winners and the losers? Their habits. The things they do when no one else is watching. Now, I don't know about you, but when this is me and I'm faithfully 
practicing the habits I feel like God wants me to do, and I'm not seeing the results I want, I get in this thing called the valley of disappointment, where I say, I'm putting in all this work. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm waking up early and reading my Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I pray with my wife at night. I'm making sure we, we go on walks and we talk. I'm doing all these things I said I was going to do. Why is it that I'm not seeing any fruitfulness come out of them? Why is it that I'm not living up to my expectations? And it's in that moment I get disappointed and I get frustrated and I begin to just say, maybe this was not worth it. Maybe I don't need to do this anymore. But you don't know how close you are to a breakthrough. Let me, let me explain it this way. Let's say for, you know, just for fun, we all went home and made pasta for lunch today. Um, I don't know how you make pasta, but most people make it one way. You put water in a pot and cook the pasta in it. If you do it other ways, that's great. I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, for the most part, we would all go home, we would get a pot, we would put water in it, and we would put that pot on the stove. That water, most likely, depending on your house, is going to be between, what, 50 and 70 degrees. I don't know what tap water costs or what, it, what the temperature is. It's probably between 50 and 70 degrees. Now, you would turn on the, 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 the stove, and it would start to cook, the water would. At 50 degrees, what do you have? Water. At 70 degrees, what do you have? Water. At 100 degrees, a little bit warmer water. At 125, probably hot water, warm water. At 150, really hot water. At 200 degrees, scalding hot water. At 211 degrees, really, really, really hot water. At 212, boiling water. Let me just say, for most of us, when it comes time to how we plan our life and do our habits, we give up at 211 degrees. And we are so close to what God wants to do in us. We are so close. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter six. Look what he says. He says, let us not become, what? Weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Maybe, just maybe, You've made a resolution or a goal or a plan before and said, I'm gonna get serious about my marriage this year. And you've put in the hours and you've put in the work and you didn't seem to be doing anything and so you just gave up. It says at the right time, the water boils. Maybe you said, you know what? I tried those spiritual disciplines. I woke up early. I, I did them before bed. I made sure I went to church every single week. I joined a small group. I did whatever those happened to be, and I just didn't seem any progress or growth. Maybe you were at 200 degrees, and you were so close to what God was going to do in your life, and everyone would have looked at you and said, they are an overnight success, but you gave up. You quit. Can I just say, as we move into 2023, don't give up. You have no idea what the spirit that lives in you by the power of God is going to do in and through you with your faithful obedience to consistent habits over an extended period of time. God is going to do something. Now, sometimes we do give up. Why? I have another chart for you. Take a look. So this one is more of a bullseye chart, and we have three, three circles here. The end result, the goal, the thing we want to happen, like I want to run a marathon. The behavior, like I'm going to go run, and the identity, I'm a marathon runner, right, okay? So for many of us, for the majority of us, the way we plan our goals is like this. Follow this arrow. We start with the end result. We begin the new year, and we say, okay, it's January 1st. 
this year, I'm just gonna use my example, this year I'm gonna run a marathon. All right, so because I wanna run a marathon, what behavior do I need to do? Well, I probably need to run. I probably need to run a lot consistently, so I'm gonna go run even when it's cold, when it's hot, and I'm going to run. And eventually, if I finish the marathon, then I can say, hey, I'm a runner. I did it, I'm a runner, right? But now I don't have another goal. So I struggle with my identity after that. What if we flipped it? What if we said, you know what? I'm gonna start with my identity. And because of who I am, that will determine my behavior and my actions, which will get me to where I wanna go. Let me give you an example. This is in uh, the book, uh, Charles Duhigg, Power of Habit. He says, listen, maybe you're trying to quit smoking. Maybe you head out to the break room and everyone's smoking up on the roof and so you go up there too and you're like, hey, and they're like, hey, do you want a ciggy? And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to quit smoking. He says, nine times out of 10, you're going to fail. He says, but same situation if you go up on the roof and someone says, hey, you want a ciggy? And you say, no, I'm not a smoker. Nine times out of 10, you will succeed. Why? Because who you are defines what you do. And that is a scriptural principle. Who you are defines what you do. Question, start with identity. In 2023, one year from now, who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? Like I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to actually think about that and answer that question. I want to be blank. What goes in the blank? I wanna be a godly husband. Great. I wanna be a godly wife. Great. I wanna be a faithful follower of Jesus. Great. I wanna be a missionary to my local community. Great. I wanna be financially free. Great. I wanna be generous with what God gives me. Great. I wanna be clean. Great. I wanna be sober. I wanna be free from this sin. I wanna be able to do what God wants me to do when he wants me to do it without ever saying no. Great. What is it that you want to be? Who do you want to be? That's, that's your homework this week, just so you know. I'm giving you homework this week. I want you to go and think about that. Why? Because once you understand who you are, then you can determine the habits that you need to do. And so who are you? Apart from Christ, you are broken, weak, doomed to fail. You are hopeless, selfish, separated from God. You are walking in darkness, but in Christ, when his spirit lives in you and indwells in you, you are strong, you are forgiven, you are selfless, you are an overcomer, you have everything you need. The person, you are the person that God's spirit empowers. You are a new creation in Christ and God loves to do new things in new creation. This year, through the power of Christ in your life, who do you want to become? And I get it, maybe you've tried before. You said, Adam, like last year, I tried doing those things and I failed and I failed and I failed and I just don't know if I can keep failing over and over and over again. I just don't think I can do it. It's impossible. Awesome. 
Matthew 17, 20, look what Jesus says about faith that is impossible. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible with you. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You can't, but you have to have just a little bit of faith that he can. That's the power of God in you. Just imagine. Just imagine with me. What if one year from now, your spiritual life was thriving? What if one year from now, you felt so close to the Lord that it was like he was physically present with you? What if one year from now, your marriage was stronger, more intimate than it had ever been? What if one year from now, you loved your kids more than you have ever loved them? What if one year from now, you were clean, sober, and free from that sin? What if? What if you stopped trying to do some big, dramatic, earth-shattering thing, the impossible, and this year you just said, God, I'm gonna be faithful in small, little, consistent things because you are the God of the possible, and I want that. That's my prayer, that this year is the year you stop just drifting in your habits and you become intentional and design your life the way God wants it. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are a God, despite your bigness, who loves the small things. God, this morning as we pray across all of our campuses, just in a, a moment of response, maybe you're here today and you're saying, Adam, I have dreams for this year, plans, goals, resolutions, and I just need you to pray for me. You don't have to tell us what they are, but you just say, I just need someone to pray because I am not happy with the person I am and I wanna change this year. I wanna start next year different. If that's you at all of our campus, I'd love to just pray with you, for you, and over you. Would you just slip up your hand where you are? Hands all over the room. Father, I pray for every hand that is up, that your spirit and your power would move in them, that this year would be the year that we look back on. This is the year that began the habits that changed our lives. That we would be people who stop saying it can't and start saying you can. Jesus, we need your power. As we continue praying, maybe you're here today, if your hand's up, you can put it down. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Adam, if I'm being honest in 2023, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I just wanna say this. God loves you. And yes, your life may be a mess. And there is a God who wants to come in and he wants, he's not gonna make it perfect, but he wants to help fix that mess that you have made. And so he sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for you in your place so that you could be made new, so that you could repent, turn from the things that are holding you back from the sin in your life and run towards him. And he would then empower you to be a new creation, a new person, because he would be your Lord and your King. 
And maybe today that's the decision you need to make. The habit you need to start with is believing in Jesus to be your savior. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask a very bold thing. Just right where you are, would you just slip up your hand? Jesus, for the first time in my life, I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my king. If you raise your hand, I'm gonna pray with you. Father, I am a sinner and I need your love. Be my Lord. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Make me new. Amen. Church, as we continue in worship right now, we're going to give you the moment to stand and we're going to sing, but I want to let you know that our prayer team will be down here in the front and they would love to, to kick off the new year praying with you. So if there's anything you need prayer for or just prayer with, they would love to do that. And I know when you stand up, there's the awkwardness of getting through the row around other people. It's okay, just push them out of the way. You're going to pray. They're not going to be mad at you. It's okay. But I just want to give you the moment to respond to what God is doing. Let's stand and let's sing.